0: This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of articular cartilage defects of the knee from the knee and sports section on orthobullets.com. Let's start this episode with a quick summary. Articular cartilage defects of the knee comprise of a spectrum of disease entities from single focal defects to advanced degenerative disease of the articular or hyaline cartilage. Diagnosis generally requires an MRI to accurately assess the location of specific defects. Treatment can be non-operative or operative depending on patient age, degree of symptoms, and the size of the lesion. Now let's get into the episode. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence of articular cartilage defects of the knee, know that 5 to 10% of people greater than 40 years old have a high-grade chondral lesion. The anatomic location of an articular cartilage defect of the knee in the setting of a chronic ACL tear is in the anterior aspect of the lateral femoral condyle and posterolateral tibial plateau. In the setting of osteochondritis desiccans, know that 70% of lesions are found in the posterolateral aspect of the medial femoral condyle. Moving on to etiology and pathophysiology, the mechanism of injury involves acute trauma or chronic repetitive overload, specifically impaction resulting in cartilage softening, fissuring, flap tears, or delamination. Know that the cause of osteochondritis desiccans is unknown. As far as the pathomechanics of articular cartilage defects of the knee, know that impaction forces greater than 24 megapascals will disrupt normal cartilage. As far as cell biology, know that cartilage injuries have limited spontaneous healing and propensity to worsen over time. With respect to anatomy, be sure to listen to the podcast episode about articular cartilage for a full review about articular cartilage basic science. Now let's talk about the classification of articular cartilage defects of the knee and the ones to know include the Outer Bridge Arthroscopic Grading System and the ICRS or International Cartilage Repair Society Grading System. So starting with the Outer Bridge Arthroscopic Grading System, this is divided into five grades. Grade 0 corresponds to normal cartilage. Grade 1 corresponds to softening and swelling that is noted with tactile feedback with a probe. Grade 2 corresponds to a partial thickness defect with surface fissures that do not reach the subchondral bone or exceed 1.5 cm in diameter. Grade three corresponds to deep fissures at the level of the subchondral bone with a diameter of more than 1.5 centimeters. Finally, grade four corresponds to exposed subchondral bone. Moving on to the ICRS or International Cartilage Repair Society grading system, this is also divided into five grades, where grade zero corresponds to normal cartilage, grade one corresponds to nearly normal but with superficial lesions, grade two corresponds to abnormal with lesions that extend less than 50% of the cartilage depth, grade three corresponds to severely abnormal, that is greater than 50% of the cartilage depth, and grade four corresponds to severely abnormal, that is through the subcontral bone. Moving on to the presentation of articular cartilage defects of the knee, patients commonly present with a history of precipitating trauma. Some defects are found incidentally on MRI or arthroscopy. As far as symptoms, patients can be asymptomatic versus having localized knee pain. Patients may complain of effusion, motion deficits, and mechanical symptoms for example catching and or instability on physical exam inspection should look for background factors that predispose to the formation of articular defects such as joint laxity malalignment and compartment overload as far as motion evaluation be sure to assess range of motion ligamentous stability and gait moving on to imaging radiographs are used to rule out arthritis bony defects and to check alignment recommended views include a standing ap lateral and merchant views Optional views include a semi-flexed 45-degree PA view, which is the most sensitive for early joint space narrowing. Long leg alignment views should be used to determine the mechanical axis. A CT scan is indicated to better evaluate bone loss. As far as findings, know that a CT scan can be used to measure the tibial tubercle to trochlear groove or TTTG distance when evaluating the patellofemoral joint. Moving on to MRI, this is the most sensitive imaging modality for evaluating focal defects. As far as views, know that a fat-suppressed T2, proton density, or a T2 fast spin echo, or FSE, offer improved sensitivity and specificity over standard sequences. Know that a degemeric or delayed gadolinium-enhanced MRI for cartilage and T2 mapping are evolving techniques to evaluate cartilage defects and repair. As far as studies to obtain in the workup of an articular cartilage defect of the knee, laboratory studies can be used to rule out inflammatory disease. Treatment of articular cartilage defects of the knee can be non-operative or operative. Non-operative management includes rest, NSAIDs, physiotherapy, and weight loss, which is indicated as the first line of treatment when symptoms are mild. Viscosupplementation, supplementation, corticosteroid injections, and an unloader brace have controversial indications but may provide symptomatic relief, but healing of the defect is unlikely. Operative options include debridement slash chondroplasty versus reconstruction techniques. Indications include failure of non-operative management, as well as acute osteochondral fractures resulting in full thickness loss of cartilage. As far as the technique, treatment is individualized and there is no one best technique for all defects. Know that the decision-making algorithm is based on several factors. Patient factors include age, skeletal maturity, low versus high demand activities, and the ability to tolerate extended rehabilitation. Defect factors include size of the defect, location, contained versus uncontained, and the presence or absence of subchondral bone involvement. Moving on to the basic algorithm for debridement slash chondroplasty versus reconstruction techniques, know that this may vary depending on published data, but the basic algorithm for a femoral condyle defect will be to correct malalignment, ligament instability, and meniscal deficiency. The treatment algorithm will also be based on measuring the size. That is, a defect of less than 4 square centimeters will be treated with microfracture or osteochondral autograph transfer. However, the treatment is palliative if the patient is older slash low demand. For a femoral condyle defect that is measured as greater than 4 square centimeters, this will be treated with an osteochondral allograft transplantation or autologous chondrocyte implantation. The basic algorithm for a patellofemoral defect will be to address patellofemoral maltracking and malalignment. As far as measuring the size of a patellofemoral defect, if it is less than 4 square centimeters, you will treat this with microfracture or osteochondral autograft transfer. If the size of the patellofemoral defect is measured as greater than 4 square centimeters, this will be treated with autologous chondrocyte implantation. However, this can be treated with microfracture if the patient is older-slash-low-demand. Now, let's talk about some of these surgical techniques in a bit more detail. So starting with debridement-slash-chondroplasty, as a quick overview, the goal is to debride loose flaps of cartilage. Know that removal of loose chondral fragments may relieve mechanical symptoms and know that there is a short-term benefit in 50 to 70% of patients. Benefits include a simple arthroscopic procedure and a faster rehabilitation. As far as limitations, the problem is exposed subchondral bone or layers of injured cartilage, and there is an unknown natural history of progression after treatment. As far as fixation of unstable fragments, as a quick overview, you will need an osteochondral fragment with adequate subchondral bone for this option. The technique will involve debriding the underlying non-viable tissue, then you can consider drilling the subchondral bone or adding local bone graft and fix with absorbable or non-absorbable screws or devices. As far as benefits of fixation of unstable fragments, you will have best results for unstable osteochondritis desiccans or OCD fragments in patients with an open physis. As far as limitations, know that there's lower healing rates in skeletally mature patients. Another limitation is non-absorbable fixation that is a headless screw should be removed at 3-6 to six months. Moving on to marrow stimulation techniques, as a quick overview, the goal is to allow access of marrow elements into the defect to stimulate the formation of reparative tissue. This includes microfracture, abrasion chondroplasty, and osteochondral drilling. In terms of the microfracture technique, the defect is prepared with stable vertical walls and the calcified cartilage layer is removed. Note that aggressive debridement with the removal of the subchondral plate may lead to osseous overgrowth. Alls are used to make multiple perforations through the subchondral bone 3-4mm to four millimeters apart. Protected weight bearing and continuous passive motion or CPM are used while mesenchymal stem cells mature into mainly fibrocartilage. Benefits of this approach includes cost effectiveness, a single stage, and arthroscopic procedure. Know that you will have best results for acute, contained cartilage lesions less than 2 by 2 cm as far as limitations, know that you will have poor results for larger defects greater than 2x2 two two centimeters. Another limitation is that this option does not address bone defects and requires limitation of weight-bearing for 6-8 to eight weeks. Moving on to osteochondral autograph slash plasty, As a quick overview, the goal is to replace a cartilage defect in a high-weight-bearing area with normal autologous cartilage and bone plug or plugs from a lower-weight-bearing area. Chondrocytes remain viable, Bone graft is incorporated into the subchondral bone and the overlying cartilage layer heals. The technique involves a recipient socket that is drilled at the site of the defect. A single or multiple small cylinders of normal articular cartilage with underlying bone are cored out from lesser weight-bearing areas, that is the periphery of the trochlea or notch. Plugs are then press-fit into the defect. As far as limitations of this option, know that size constraints and donor site morbidity limit usage of this technique. As far as other limitations, matching the size and radius of curvature of the cartilage defect is difficult, and the fixation strength of the graft initially decreases with the initial healing response, and therefore weight-bearing should be delayed for 3 months. Benefits of this approach include autologous tissue, cost-effectiveness, a single-stage procedure, and it may be performed arthroscopically. Moving on to osteochondral allograft transplantation, as a quick overview, the goal is to replace a cartilage defect with live chondrocytes in mature matrix along with underlying bone know that fresh refrigerated grafts are used, which retain chondrocyte viability. This may be performed as a bulk graft fixed with screws or a shell graft fixed with dowels. The technique involves matching the size and radius of curvature of the articular cartilage with donor tissue. A recipient socket is drilled at the site of the defect. An osteochondral dowel of the appropriate size is then cored out of the donor, and the dowel is press fit into place. Benefits include the ability to address larger defects, you can correct significant bone loss, and it's useful in the revision of other techniques. As far as limitations, there is limited availability and high cost of donor tissue, and live allograft tissue carries potential risk of infection. Moving on to autologous chondrocyte implantation, or ACI, as a quick overview, this is basically cell therapy with the goal of forming autologous hyaline-like cartilage. The technique will involve an arthroscopic harvest of the cartilage from a lesser weight bearing area, and in the lab, chondrocytes are released from the matrix and are expanded in culture. The defect is prepared, and chondrocytes are then injected under a periosteal patch sewn over the defect during a second surgery. The benefits of autologous chondrocyte implantation is that it may provide a better histologic tissue than marrow stimulation. Know that long-term results are comparable to microfracture in most series. Other benefits include regeneration of autologous tissue, and you can address larger defects. Limitations, on the other hand, is that you must have full thickness cartilage margins around the defect. This involves an open surgery. It's a two-stage procedure, and prolonged protection is necessary to allow for maturation. Now let's talk about patellocartilage unloading procedures, specifically the McKay technique, which is a tibial tubercle anteriorization, or Fulkerson alignment surgery, which is a tibial tubercle anteriorization and medialization. So the McKay, or a tibial tubercle anteriorization, is indicated only for distal pole lesions. Be sure to only elevate one centimeter, or else there is a risk of skin necrosis. Contraindications to a tibial tubercle anteriorization is superior patellar arthrosis, therefore you should scope before you perform the surgery. A Fulkerson alignment surgery, otherwise known as a tibial tubercle anteriorization and medialization, has controversial indications. However, it can be indicated for lateral and distal pole lesions and in the setting of an increased Q angle. Contraindications also include superior medial patellar arthrosis. Therefore, like before a McKay technique, you will scope before you perform the surgery. Another contraindication to a Fulkerson alignment surgery is skeletal immaturity. Finally, let's go over matrix-associated autologous chondrocyte implantation, otherwise known as MACI. As a quick overview, cells are cultured and embedded in a matrix or scaffold. The matrix is secured with fibrin glue or sutures, and this results in type 1 and type 2 collagen. As far as benefits, this is the only FDA-approved cell therapy for cartilage in the United States of America. Another benefit includes the ability to perform this procedure without suturing, and it may be performed arthroscopically. The limitations, however, is that it's a two-stage procedure and it's expensive. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question, what type of tissue is formed by the activation of marrow mesenchymal cells following subchondral drilling of an eight by seven millimeter osteochondral defect? And the choices are one, elastic cartilage, two, fiber cartilage, 3 hyaline cartilage 4 trabecular bone and 5 hypertrophic chondrocytes The correct answer to this question is 2 fibrocartilage. So subchondral drilling of an osteochondral defect will create fibrocartilage tissue. To quickly review, the premise of subchondral drilling is to utilize the marrow stimulating effects of subchondral bone to create fibrocartilage in place of hyaline cartilage defects. Penetrating the subchondral plate will expose the damaged area to progenitor cells that reside in the subchondral bone. Activating of progenitor cells will create fibrocartilaginous scarring. Fibrocartilage is biologically and biomechanically inferior to native hyaline cartilage. However, this repair process will create a congruent joint surface and prevent further deterioration of the adjacent cartilaginous tissue. Mitoffer et al. examined 48 patients with isolated full thickness articular cartilage defects of the femur that were treated with a microfracture technique. MRI imaging showed good or moderate tissue repair and filling in 83% of patients. These patients showed greater improvements in their SF36 score after treatment compared to the other 17% of patients with low tissue repair and filling. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, elastic cartilage, is mostly found in the external ear, epiglottis, and larynx. Answer three, hyaline cartilage is mostly found in the ribs, nose, larynx, and trachea. Answer four, trabecular bone is incorrect as subchondral drilling has been shown to alter the subchondral bone plate and trabecular bone composition by causing microcysts and intralesional osteophytes that later fill in with cancellous bone. Finally, answer five, hypertrophic chondrocytes are cells, not tissue. Subchondral drilling has no effect on their activity. Moving on to the next question, A 24 year old female has moderate arthrosis of the medial facet of the patella and the medial femoral condyle. Which of the following procedures is contraindicated? And the choices are 1. Anterior or McKay tibial tubercle osteotomy, 2. Anteromedial or Fulkerson tibial tubercle osteotomy, 3. Anterolateral tibial tubercle osteotomy, 4. Medial opening wedge high tibial osteotomy, and 5. Lateral closing wedge high tibial osteotomy. The correct answer to this question is two, anteromedial or fulcarsin tibial tubercle osteotomy. So an anteromedial or fulcarsin tibial tubercle osteotomy is contraindicated in patients with significant arthrosis of the medial facet of the patella and the medial femoral condyle. To quickly review, anteromedial tibial tubercle osteotomy or a procedure involves the transfer of the tubercle to a more anterior and medial location. Changing the vector of the extensor mechanism can help reduce lateral patellar subluxation slash dislocation and concomitantly unload areas of arthrosis on the distal and lateral aspects of the patella. When performing a tibial tubercle transfer, the surgeon should beware of proximal lesions or medial facet or condylar lesions. Thus, intact proximal and medial cartilage is required to obtain the maximum benefit from this procedure pascual Garrido et al., in a level four study, reviewed 62 patients who underwent autologous chondrocyte implantation of the patellofemoral joint for defects with an average size of four square centimeters. Those that underwent anteromedialization tended to have better clinical outcomes than those without realignment, however, 44% of the patients still required a subsequent procedure. Paulos et al., in a level three study, prospectively followed 25 patients with a dislocating patella that underwent a derotational high tibial osteotomy medial or anteromedial tibial tubercle osteotomy. There were no dislocation recurrences in either group, and 92% of the patients stated that they were very happy with the results of their surgery and would undergo the procedure again. And moving on to the final question, following a medial femoral condyle osteochondral autograft mosaicplasty, which of the following statements best describes the fixation of the graft? And the choices are 1. Graft fixation strength increases linearly with time until subchondral union at 3 months. Two. Graph fixation strength initially decreases during the early healing phase and then increases with subchondral bone healing. Three. Graph fixation strength does not change during the first three months following surgery. Four. Graph fixation strength is enhanced by early weight bearing. And five. Graph fixation strength initially increases over the first six weeks, then recedes with bone remodeling. The correct answer to this question is two, Graph fixation strength initially decreases during the early healing phase and then increases with subchondral bone healing. So studies have shown graph fixation strength initially decreases during the early healing phase and then increases with subchondral bone healing. Following mosaicplasty, appropriate postoperative rehabilitation and weight-bearing status must be based upon the fixation of the osteochondral autograft plugs. In addition, early non-weight-bearing motion is important to prevent stiffness and protect the joint surfaces with synovial fluid. Whiteside et al. performed a poor study evaluating the fixation strength of osteochondral autograft mosaicplasty during the first week following implantation. The graft fixation was notably weaker one week following surgery due to the postoperative response and host remodeling. These results suggest that protected weight bearing should be used until the osteochondral plugs have healed into the subchondral bone, generally by three months. That's all for this review about articular cartilage defects of the knee. Hopefully, that was helpful. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on orthobullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the OrthoBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the OrthoBullets podcast so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow OrthoBullets on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the OrthoBullets podcast.